Let's Go State, the official podcast of Penn State Athletics. Now, from Happy Valley, here's your host, Brian Tripp. Welcome into another episode of Let's Go State, the official podcast of Penn State Athletics. As always, if you like what you hear today, make sure you review our podcast, subscribe wherever you may be listening. I'm Brian Tripp, your host once again, and I'm pleased to be joined today by the head men's golf coach here at Penn State, Greg Nye. Coach, it's great to see you. You had a little sweat this morning. I think you got out and played nine holes on a hot and humid day here in Happy Valley, but it's great to see you, Coach. Yeah, great to see you too, Brian. Yep, I got... uh lassoed into one last night i couldn't resist and uh got to the first team we were already perspiring but it was a good time it's always get out get out there and see if you can hit a few decent shots and have people find your ball for you and you know you hit a few stray here and there and return the favor but good fun good fun how often do you get out and play uh three times in the last four days the pandemic year was unbelievable was uh maybe four or five times a year prior to that since i was 24 and last year it was over 60 so crowded golf courses last year too a lot of people turned to golf as a way to get out and enjoy themselves during the pandemic yeah absolutely there were so many people it's uh just just checking with some of the people that i know that are in the industry i said that my son russell just graduated here with his um doctorate he is uh, working at home and uh, down in Philly with uh, Children's Hospital of Philadelphia. And uh, here's a guy who was a soccer player, football player, some golf, of course, but now he can't get enough of it. And I said to my brother, Scott, down in Marion, I said, this is Scott's doing it. He says, lots of young professional, lots of young people his age in the 25 to 35-year-old age bracket, they're getting into golf this year. And uh, so, you know, a a game that was a little bit on the decline with participation has jumped back up. We've all had a pretty good time with it to be able to get out in the fresh air and actually uh, take a mask off and talk to people. It was a lot of fun. Uh, It certainly wasn't what we wanted to go through the last 15 months. But if you look at a sport that's benefited from it, let's get started with your career. I think that's a really nice place to start. Three decades now at Penn State, coming up on your 30th year can you believe it could would you have expected that when taking the job in 1992 oh certainly not yeah that's uh you know just what what do coaches say you know one play at a time one game at a time one year at a time you know certainly i was in in that spot so to be sitting here uh, having completed uh, a pandemic 29th year uh it's it it is uh certainly uh something that i i couldn't have dreamt of at that point do you remember when taking the job what attracted you to penn state well yeah i um you know i looked at some other big 10 schools being uh, head coach over at bowling green and and uh so i was pretty familiar uh but my father went to springfield college Mm -hmm. western mass and springfield mass and uh talking with him about working here Probably one of the biggest sells of all was when he mentioned that, and I was really a big Springfield College. I was soaked in it through dad going to school there and being a very proud alum and a coach. Mm -hmm. Um, He said that Penn State 
was like a bigger version of Springfield College, which was really into participation. So um, from physical education classes, health and education classes, to uh, intramurals, to club sports, to varsity, almost the whole campus was involved somewhat in uh, some form of sport. And they, th this group that was, uh, it's a kind of a teacher's college and big mm -hmm. into, you know, they work at YMCA's, but they put out hundreds of coaches through the decades. And, and uh, the environment was, they supported one another's contests. They showed up. And you see that here at Penn State. And, and when, you know, dad said that, I'm like, wow, you know, a power five school. I don't even know if we used that language 30 years yeah. ago, but, but to say that Penn State was a bigger version of that, you know, in on the, uh, the whole participation scene. And, you, you know, we do have that here with, you know, intramurals and club sports and, you know, varsity sports and, and, uh, did you teach classes when you first arrived at Penn State? Yeah, as my dad did, you know, yeah. and he, you know, and that was prevalent over at uh, Springfield as well. So it was like ideal, you know. So you know the t attention to education, uh, being a D three liberal arts graduate, mm -hmm. and dad as a coach, you know, that's definitely an emphasis there. You're student first, and and uh, you know, sport in Division three is is a, a passion. Mm -hmm. And that's why you do it. It's not a grant and aid scene. So um, not that that's, that's not passionate here. It's just that you're a little bit better and you get a, you get a grant and aid for, for uh, participating. Um, but, you know, so similar, just a, that was a smaller version. But the spirit, you know, they have the mind-body spirit as they, what they, they believe in there. And, and uh, so the values are, there's a lot of similarity between the two. So I've really felt like I, I could be a good fit. And 30 years later, I think I was. It's interesting because when we talk to any coach on the podcast and we discuss recruiting, it's always not just finding the best player or the best prospect with recruiting rankings, if it's football or basketball. It's about right. finding the right fit. And at Penn State, academics, being involved in the community, that whole package of developing and preparing a student athlete for a lifetime of excellence Really, it's a right fit for a coach too. That's what right. you're describing, just like a recruiting a recruiting visit for a potential prospect. Right, right. So when I, you know, when you recruit, you get to tell a little piece of your own story, mm -hmm. and, and uh, they may identify with that. And if you can see that clicking, you know, you've got, you might have the right fit for your team as well. Your story starts with a dad who is a longtime golf coach that you were just talking about. So was it inevitable that you were going to get into the game of golf and become a coach? Yeah, definitely. Um, you know, when you're uh, a son, dad's got two daughters and three sons. When you are, and I was the oldest uh, at the College of Worcester where he was a coach for so long since the 60s and, uh, you know, several decades as well. Uh, but when you're, uh, when you're in that environment, as a young person, you can go to practice, but you can also get on the bus. So dad coached soccer. I was on the soccer buses. He, he coached basketball hoops. You know, I'm on the hoops buses. He, was, he would take the, the freshman team, 
you know, I was with them all winter. I got to do shot charts and things like that. And then, of course, the golf as well. We taught gymnastics. So, you know, I, I was at practice. I was on trips. I was like, I felt like I was a part of the entire scene. And, of course, you would, you would see all this role modeling, and you'd go back to the neighborhood. And I had a, a, uh, a neighborhood, you know, back in those days. It was all pickup games constantly. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we built our own track meets, our own we built our own backstops and bases and it just uh it was non-stop outdoor unsupervised activity and i was just drenched in sport i remember growing up we would use the pool fence for <sighs> right field for wiffle ball yeah the tree line there was left go. field and anything over the tree line home run yep. hit the pool fence if you hit the house it's an out right. yeah the good old days that's right that's <laughs> you're totally invested in it it's awesome your brothers. Mm-hmm. I ended up, I was, I'm the first to come along. Mm-hmm. And then uh, there's a, about a seven year separation between uh, Scott, who's a head professional over at Marion and Gary, who's at old Silo Ridge up in uh, upstate New York. So, so there really there wasn't was, that competition growing up. Yeah, we didn't, yeah, we didn't, we didn't have that. So um, that would have been fun. But we were so far apart. I was playing in a U.S. amateur over in Philadelphia and had a chance to, uh, during the tournament, after a practice round, another person asked me if I'd like to go over to Marion and play golf. And I was from a little nine-hole course in the middle of Ohio. I was thrilled to be at a Ron McGolf Club mm-hmm. for the United States amateur. I was just riding a pretty big high. And then to be invited to play at Marion place I had seen on TV with Lee Trevino and Jack Nicholas and I don't know if it was color or black and white back then but I jumped at the chance and I'll tell you that that evening when I walked off that golf course I go that is the best that was the most fun golf course I've ever played it became my favorite and it's it still is and my brother's the head professional has been there 20 years just just amazing so uh, an incredible story. I was at the, so I'm at the amateur and Scott is just about ready to go into, uh, high school tryouts mm-hmm. and I'm coming back, big brother, big deal at the U S amateur. I'm at these fancy places and I'm telling these stories and somewhere in my heart, Scott was struggling with his short game and I went out and helped him for a day, day and a half and he got better. He made the team and who knows if he wouldn't have made the team, he might not have ever met, ended up at Marion. So it was a big Somewhere down in my mean big brother heart. <laughs> I did that for him and he's spent a career in golf. So how much do you a, guys rely on you know, each other to share golf stuff, family? What is that dynamic like today? Because your whole family's involved and has been involved in golf yeah. for such a long time. Yeah. So uh Scott certainly has a certain appreciation for what it's like to be a coach collegiately. Mm-hmm because he's listened to me for all these years, but he had his dad ahead, you know, as well. So he's a sounding board for me. And uh, I'm not, I was, I did do what he did for a few years. So I've got a, a little bit of a grasp of what it's like to be uh, at a super nice club like that. And, and uh, you know, I return the favor. He knows that I'm kind of safe ground to speak to. And so we do support and, and, and young Gary, the same, you know, he's got, he can look at it both ways. He certainly has a great role model in his older brother at Marion. So, yeah, I mean, it's, 
it's definitely uh, an exchange and uh, support and trying to problem solve. I know I sent you a list of questions ahead of time, and I wasn't sure if I'd put this one on or not. But the question was, if I go to Wooster, Ohio, and I said oh, the name yeah. Nye, yeah, what yeah. would the reaction be? Because yeah. that's got to be a household name there. It, yeah. So Dad was a, was, uh, was, uh, a busy guy. Um, but he was one of the first to teach golf lessons in the area, you know, and he's, he's, he's coaching soccer, basketball and golf. And, and he was also the head pro over at the, at the, the college golf course and teaching lessons. And he was so involved in all kinds of community stuff. So, um, this wasn't me that said this originally, but they said if the same kind of question, you know, if you go to Worcester and you mention the, the name Nye, They'll go, oh, coach, this could be anybody in town. When he walked into the, the breakfast restaurant downtown, it was, hey, coach, hey, coach. He didn't coach him, but that's how they addressed him. And that's what you'd get. It, it's all about me. If it was me, oh, Bob's son. Which one? Oh, he's the golf coach's son. Yeah. Yeah. So that's what you would, that, that's definitely what you would get if you went into town and, and, and mentioned that. It's dad left, left, uh, left it better than he found it for sure in that community now you played for your dad didn't yeah your whole family? all three of us did yep what was all it like playing three for him? of well i was a little fiery so i i would have been tough to coach i can't even imagine approaching me on a golf course back in the day but uh see that surprises no. me because you have such a i know even keeled demeanor you, see, now. you learn you know your strengths and weaknesses you know you learn you know that was my uh, weakness and it, i've now turned it <laughs> <laughs> so it took some work but yeah i mean just uh yeah so through yeah. the years you've had to coach some fiery guys oh, yeah. and, and i go i know where you're coming from <laughs> <laughs> i was there I wasn't Do they believe that, you? I'm like, that behavior was not what we're looking for. And that I could say, you know, I've been there and I, you know, I've been, I've been through how it feels to have done it and, and uh, it's not a good feeling and let's, uh, yeah, let's see if we can get that moving in the right direction. So just interesting that, that, that whole dynamic dad, I, I know I'm speaking a lot about my father, but, uh, it's just, it's interesting because, you know, he came through uh, periods of, of uh, collegiate golf and athletics in this country. And, you know, he was, he was of belief that if you played against Division I schools, if you could get in a few tournaments as a Division three team, you're going to take a beating. But if you can learn to improve and, and, and compete and get to a point where, you know, we could finish ahead of some D1 schools, which we did, by the time we got to the end of the year and we were playing Division three competition, we had hardened ourselves. We had improved our game. We'd played up. And, uh, you know, my first year there, we won the NCAA championship. And then I, we finished third and fourth. And we just had uh, really, really good teams, winning conference tournaments. And, and you know, so he was uh, of, that, of that belief, you know, play a tough schedule. And uh, so I've taken from that. And I know other coaches do that. I was going to say, the thing that strikes me, you can say you're talking a lot about your dad and maybe yeah. relating to that experience, but right. when I look at your schedule every year, right, that's what you guys do. Go to Duke, go to Wake, yep, go right, go play Florida State in March on their turf, and, you know, you're going to face them in the regional, and you can't get to regional and go, oh, look at that bag. I know that guy. I saw him in a magazine. You know, no, we're going to put the... 
we've done this. We've been successful during the year and ho-hum, you know, we're just got to go out and prove it again. So, you know, that, you know, that's, uh, you know, that's just some, probably something that, that uh, I took from him that was fairly easy. Um, when I was playing in the 70s, I don't know if you remember this, but that's about the time when passenger vans were invented. Mm-hmm. And I ne- will never forget the, the 24 hours of Le Mans, the van trips to Florida for the first spring trips ever made by college golf teams all the way to Miami, Florida from Northern Ohio without stopping in a hotel <laughs> get out not really have your a game and play but uh probably not the comfort level of the sprinters that i know today. i know that today they get in the back of the van and they're watching movies and doing homework on the wi-fi and watching movies their own movies or watching basketball whatever they don't even know what state they're in but the coach's job up front still the same we're driving You've proven that you can have success in the Northeast Mid-Atlantic region. What's enabled the program to have that success throughout the years? Yeah, the, the um, I, you know, I, I think I, I hate to repeat, but what I did when I first came on board, all the tournaments were in the Northeast. Mm-hmm. And uh, it was a little bit of a, a slow separation with a little bit of pain a little bit of resentment from some of the other coaches in the mid-Atlantic and Northeast, but we started getting national in, national invites, and you know, we would play a handful of those every year for the same reason. I, you can't play in a regional and, and be successful unless you've faced them during the year. Mm-hmm. So um, it goes back to you know that kind of that same concept. If you're playing up and really pushing yourself – and then you play back in the mid-Atlantic and northeast region. You've got that to use. You may not use it, and we didn't always, but we had a lot of success through the years coming out of the, out of the mid-Atlantic and, the, and the, um, the northeast area. Penn State golf has a storied history, and 100 years will be celebrated this upcoming season with right. the 2021-2022 right. season. Your arrival coincided with Penn State joining the Big Ten. Right. What did the right. Big Ten's impact? on Penn State golf mean? Well, I, you know, I think, uh, you know, behind the scenes a, a bit for me, you know, there's stuff that's, that's, that's very apparent to me, um, you know, was getting out there and playing in those events. But Coach Mary Kennedy already did a little bit of that. Um, but you, you had to know that, you know, over the first decade throughout all of our sports here at Penn State, there would be some assessing mm-hmm. as to what it would take to uh, give our, our sports uh, a fair opportunity to compete well. And, and that's what I observed. I was from the Midwest. Uh, when we when I was at Bowling Green for those eight years, we played in Big Ten tournaments every single week. So nothing changed for Greg Nye, but for the Penn State student athlete, our our team, it was new, mm-hmm. and I was able to you know really uh, make it somewhat that transition somewhat easier because of the familiarity. But I do know a lot has changed since 1992 until today so yeah what's changed during your 29 plus years at penn state yeah so if you were to pick out one major thing other than golf course you know up Mm -hmm. up upgrades the tombros facility here has been spectacular beautiful thanks to peter and ann and and all the other people who donated to this project and 
we have a beautiful range and a gorgeous short game area now. Um, but if you were to point at uh, bigger golf, the, the national golf, the absolute biggest change was, uh, and I hope we go back to it one day, but we've gone away from regional play for qualification into the national championships. Mm-hmm. So we were coming out of districts, and our district was mid-Atlantic, and to qualify into the NCAA. And so we would get a, a quota of teams from uh, this area of the country to, to uh, participate at the NCAA regional. So we were face-to-face with those competitors. Today we play the computer. Now it's all about a national algorithm. So you're, yeah, just like basketball. It's mm-hmm. what, what's the toughness of your schedule and who are you beating? And uh, you gotta, you gotta, you've got to uh, have a national ranking at a, at, a, at, a, at a certain number to get in as an at-large uh, participant, which now makes us seek into the south, southeast to find the competition and go in and beat somebody so that that ranking can be there. So That's got to be tough mentally to not see your opponent in front of you. You don't see the leaderboard in front of you. You right. have to pull up an app or go on the computer to see where you stand and they could be competing 2000 miles away. Yeah. Yeah. You just, you just know that because the teams are ranked on a, on a uh, weekly basis mm-hmm. towards the end of the year, you know, who's in the field, you know, who's ranked ahead of you. Mm-hmm. And you know that if you get wins against them, that's going to be important. But those people that uh, you may have beaten earlier in the year, you better hope they're still winning too. And it's not any different than basketball. Yeah. Okay. So, but boy, it's, I, I don't know if I'm answering your question, but you're just not looking them in the eye. It's yeah. very, it's a strange concept. Yeah. You're not playing the opponent right across from you, you know? So it's almost to relate it to people who may be listening, who follow professional golf. If you're looking at a, a FedEx cup standing or a Ryder cup where not everyone competes every week in the same tournaments. They're all in the big tournaments together. Right. But if you're trying to see who's going to make the Olympic team or the Ryder Cup team or ultimately yeah. at the end, the FedEx Cup point standings, some of that is impacted by guys who you're not out there competing with on that week for that That's leaderboard. That's right. Yeah. So how do they do against everybody else when they're playing and you're not? And you know, So all these things impact where you end up and uh, you know, just... Uh, Boy, it was tough by the pandemic thing that mm-hmm. uh, we had a team, not this past year. This past year was like a whole other can of worms. But the previous year, we were playing along and had three quarters of our season in, and we had just graduated four of our starters. Mm-hmm. We had a very good team, and we had this team coming in that I think most people have said we wouldn't have been that good. And when we got done in March, when we were told to come back from Georgia, we were inside the number to go to NCAA. And that, you know, you talk about a proud moment for a coach. I mean, that was tears. That was so, so difficult because uh, we were beating the computer. We knew it. We knew we were, we were sailing at that point. So, um, but yeah, yeah. What are some of those proudest moments as a coach? You mentioned that one. Yeah. What else? Well, you know, there's so, there, there's so many. I don't know if I can count them or isolate one. I think proud moments, um, you know, it's when it's – Do when, you ever, in the midst of it, do you sit back and say, 
and like reflect on your career? Absolutely. Absolutely. And, you know, you get things that prompt you to think of a player or a situation. It's not always the wins. Yeah. You know, it's, it's a lot of it is, uh, sports difficult. Life's difficult, you know, and when you coach, there's a closeness with your players, you know, as a, as an athlete and as a person. And, uh, you know, when, when you're faced with these challenges and you see these people dealing with how tough sport is, how tough life is at moments, and you, you see them work their way through situations to me, that's when it's the most emotional mm-hmm. and that's when I'm the absolute proudest. Put me in the shoes as a golf coach. How much time are you spending mentally developing the guys and this is just within the game because at Penn State you're doing so much more than just coaching golf right Right. (laughs) there's the whole element of the entire person whether it's nutrition academics but in terms of actual golf and when you're out there on the course how much time are you spending mentally with them tweaking their swing shots what is what is that dynamic like well this is uh we're we're kind of in an an era where we're looking at a lot of data Mm mm-hmm you know, we're letting the statistics drive things. We've got video and there's a big overdose of that. And so a lot of my time is trying to pull them away from that Mm -hmm. and getting them to actually go play the game, playing the game. And boy, in golf, I mean, it's, it's different every time you go out there, different golf courses, different parts of the country, different grasses, different, different weather situations, even our own golf courses changes day to day. And, you really have to be in tune to be a player. I mean, and we say a player in golf, that's next level, mm-hmm. okay, to be a player. Uh, that's a huge compliment. He's a heck of a player. So uh, that's a big emphasis with me. Uh, we do a lot of qualifying. We play in a lot of tournaments. The guys are playing all summer long, competing. Uh, but, boy, you know, the, to go to the range and to work on a full swing, No. We want them in the short game area. We want them inside 100 yards. And we want them working on fundamentals, but we walk, again, you know, there's so many different shots you can have. We want them working on their creativity as well so they can perform under the gun and figure things out. So uh, I, we always laugh. We don't have to send them to the back of the range. I'm pointing towards the range right now for people who can't see me to, hit, <laughs> to practice more flat lie five irons. Like, how many of those are you going to have in a round? You may have zero, mm-hmm. but you're out there practicing 40 of them. So what are we, what are you doing? So there's a place for that. Yeah. And there's a ton of information on that. But if you are inside our program and probably many programs, that's what you're going to find is this emphasis on playing and competing and, and developing the, um, the scoring shots inside the, of a hundred yards. The data is great, but you have to know how to use it and when to use it because you can have too much and then you become totally consumed with that and forget about everything else. And that isn't a golf thing. That is a baseball thing. That is every sport right now. Now that we have all these great tools, how do you utilize it the best? Right. Yeah. That's, you know, an easy one, an easy one to uh, think about. Many golfers own the uh, yardage lasers Mm -hmm. and what do they measure? When they get out there in the rough or the fairway, what do they measure? What do you think, Brian? What's the, what pops in your head? The flagstick. Yep. So that's where we're supposed to land the ball? No. 
<laughs> so, so we're looking at, okay, that's part of the information. Can you laser the, the, the front edge of or the, the, the green side edge of the, the front bunker? Mm -hmm. Can you give me the carry yardage over that? What's your lie? What's the wind? What's the spin of your ball going to be like with that club when you go over that bunker and relate it to that flag stick and what side of it? So, yeah. These if lazy... I miss that flag stick, is it better to miss short? Is it better to miss long? Where am well, I not going to get myself in trouble for be the next shot? You better thinking about these things because that's what makes you a player. Mm -hmm. And if you just haul off and, and uh, take the yardage and try to land at the flag, it's not saying very much. Well, we've seen it across all of golf the last five, ten years, and for lack of better term, the Bryson effect with all of the data. Yeah. Where does golf go next? Right. So my, you know, my real hope is that we have the Marians of the world. We have all these wonderful, wonderfully done golf courses, architecturally tremendous that have gotten too short. So what can we do to reel the game back in? I think golf needs to take some real steps there because you know, plots of land, they, they don't just pop up everywhere. And, and uh, don't we want to be playing on traditional sites? Mm -hmm. Don't we want to feel the history? I think so. Um, so, you know, I really hope that uh, we're careful with technology. I, the body's the body. People were, you know, Ben Hogan was strong. You know, the, I'm sure that there's improvements in the body today, but... Um, and that we certainly see it in the golf clubs that are swung by people can can really take a rip at it. Um, but yeah, I just hope that the golf ball and equipment stay in check and uh, that, that that we see like the the yardage the the greens books right now are under discussion. We get these greens books, and I can pull one out right mm -hmm. here. You can look at every detail of the green because it, it's they've been out there with all kinds of sophisticated devices that. Uh, you know, are telling us the slope and, mm -hmm. and, you know, how do you use that information? But it, my goodness, it makes it, it makes the art of green reading go onto a piece of paper. So, you know, we're, you know, have we taken a step too far there already? How do you back that up? It's these, these things very much concern me about the game of golf. So is it going in a better direction? I don't know. Let me bring this full circle back as well. In the beginning, we talked about how golf became popular for so many. They used it as an avenue to get out. They found the game during the pandemic. What about outside of the players that you have and guys right. that have a chance to go pro and play yeah, professionally? Yeah. What about the casual game of golf? Because now we're seeing courses that are designed to be 12 holes, 15 holes. So maybe you want to play a two-hour round instead of a four-and-a-half-hour right. round. right. Where do you see, just in general, the popularity of golf is certainly skyrocketing again. Yeah. So what about in general? Well, that happened because mom and dad are both working. Mm -hmm. uh, that happened because there's more online fun activity to do. Mm -hmm. There's more activities in general to do than just golf. Can't put the stuff. phone down for four hours. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Can't be and, separated. Yeah. Uh, so not enough time, not enough time created that situation. Yeah. But then we've learned in the last 18 months that, oh, maybe there is time. Yeah. So maybe we won't be headed into the 12-hole the round of golf thing. Maybe we're, we're going back the other way where there's 
bigger spaces of time again. <laughs> Coach, I hope this was yeah. as fun for you as it was for me. I thought it was, it was. a great conversation was. and it appreciate was. the time so, yeah. so much. Yep. You're welcome, Brian. Thank you for having me. Penn State men's golf head coach Greg Nye, our guest this week on Let's Go State, the official podcast of Penn State Athletics. Thank you so much for tuning in. We'll talk to you next time here on Let's Go State, the official podcast of Penn State Athletics. Let's Go State, the official podcast of Penn State Athletics.